We continue the reaction to the NCAA punishments handed down to Tennessee from that 30-month-long investigation and one part of the punishments that no one's really talking about. Tennessee's got to vacate a couple of wins. That more. Your mailbag, too, here on a Tuesday. Locked on Balls. You are Locked on Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you, Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Balls. It is your team every single day. I'm your host, Eric Kane. We got a fun show coming up. Brent Hubbs of AllQuest.com is going to kick us off here at the top. We got your mailbag edition of the show and um, a little bit more about the Scouting the Opponent series. We'll take a look at Austin P. But first, we'll start with Brent Hubbs over at VolQuest.com as we continue to recap uh, the findings, the uh, punishments from the NCAA. Brent, it was 30 long months. It was two and a half years, and we spoke on this already on on some shows we do at VolQuest. But it's not nothing, but it still feels like Tennessee kind of got what it what it wanted here, right? Well, Tennessee made it very clear, and we've seen that through the investigative work by the Knoxville News Sentinel and Adam Sparks and everything that those guys have done. Um, Tennessee was going to do whatever it took to not have a postseason bowl ban. If that, that meant suing. They were going to sue. Whatever it took, they were going to do. The only reason Tennessee went to Cincinnati to go before the committee and take an NCAA deal was to avoid a postseason bowl ban. And Tennessee got what they most coveted, and that was uh, the opportunity to continue to play for championships and to not have a postseason ban. So, yeah, from that standpoint, it's definitely a win for Tennessee. You know, we cover recruiting over VolQuest.com. It's, it's uh, you know, the – uh, the pulse that keeps us going and, and Tennessee's already been playing behind the eight ball in terms of self and post scholarships over the last couple of years with Josh Heupel. Uh, by the end of this year, it'll be 18 already served. You got to get 28. So in the span of a five-year probation, um, really it's, it's nothing, nothing new here, but um, how big are those scholarship reductions? And of course the limitations on the open period and official visits. Well, I think from the scholarship production standpoint, you're always going to be over 80. You're going to be in the 82 range, something like that. That's about what you're playing with. Um, nobody is nobody's playing with – I mean, you take 70 and dress 70 in an SEC game. So it's not like you're playing football games with 85 scholarship guys. Now, you have a bunch of injuries and it shows up. But um, Tennessee was down 12 in year one and not no, no fan really knew it or really realized it. So – I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but it's a manageable number. And it's a manageable number because Tennessee did a smart thing and going ahead and self-imposing a bunch. I mean, if you're sitting here, Eric, and, and Josh Heupel had chased, you know, a bunch of players in the portal in year one after 30 guys go into the transfer portal before he arrives, and you're sitting here and you don't re- take any scholarship reductions and you find out you've got 28 over five years starting now, that's a different deal. Okay, yeah. I mean that, that's a total different landscape that you're playing with there. So, um, that, you know, I think Tennessee was smart and being proactive about some stuff, and I, I think it's manageable. Um, you don't like the recruiting restriction stuff. That's, you know, that's manageable as well. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna tell recruits they can't come to the Georgia home game, but they may tell recruits they, you know, you can't have anybody to a Vanderbilt home game at Thanksgiving weekend, which is probably not the end of the world. You you can manage it. It's not ideal, but it, but. It's okay. It's worth getting to go play in a bowl game and not having that. Imagine imagine what everybody was thinking about right now. If this team was going to the practice field in two weeks with no postseason hopes, no playoff hopes, none of that talk, you know, in front of them, 
and guys could leave if they wanted to and go play eligible immediately um, for a team that could be bowl eligible. What would your football team look like? So, um, you know, they did what they had to do, and that was preserve uh, the ability to play for a bowl or be in a bowl. You know, it was in the 70-page document released by the NCAA on Friday, uh, and it's something, of course, you know, we, we've written about it, you've written about it, um, and others have as well, but it's something we're not really talking about. It's not a huge deal, but it's it's obviously something. You're going to have to vacate those wins in twenty eight or 2019 and 2020 by Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, it's 11 wins overall, 8 in 2019, 3 in 2020. Drops you out of the top 10 overall in college football's, you know, you know top wins or whatever. Um it's not that many wins, but that's still kind of a big deal. Anytime you have to erase wins from the history of your football program, right? Well, and and that's the that's the real contention of embarrassment. Yeah, I mean that's the embarrassment of all this long term, right? You overcome the scholarship reductions. The fine is the fine, but but when you talk about forever in in every history book, it's going to have what the record was, and then it's going to have an L beside it, or it's going to say vacated because of NCAA probation or NCAA sanctions. I mean, that's the legacy. That's the black guy that doesn't leave the program. That, that, that is the earmark of the Jeremy Pruitt era. Right. And, and, and quite frankly, it's the legacy of the athletic director, you know, Philip Fulmer, it's not his coaching legacy. He's a hall of famer, but from an athletic director standpoint, you're now no, you're not a top 10 winning program right now. Now you may get back there, but you're not right now. You're out of that. And you, and you have the embarrassment of having two winless seasons because of the, the actions of your head coach that happened on your watch, Philip Fulmer. So it's an embarrassment factor long-term. It's what that boils down to. It does change in the record book, but it's always a black eye that never goes away. Jeremy Pruitt gets a six-year show cause. Some of his assistants get uh, you know a couple-year show causes. Some lower-level recruiters, um, recruiting staff members get a 10 and I believe a six-year show cause. Anyway, you mentioned Philip Fulmer there, and it's it's interesting. Someone actually asked this, and you know we're going to do a mailbag portion here next segment. Um, and, and I think this is different depending on who you ask, of course, because you got to separate it, right? The AD and the coach. But how does this affect Philip Fulmer's legacy as a as a volunteer? Well, it tarnishes it. There's no doubt. I mean, um, look, he took Tennessee to unprecedented heights as a coach and did a tremendous job and yeah there may have been some teams in the league that were down but 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 he changed the way Tennessee recruited he changed the way Tennessee played he did a lot of things and won a lot of ball games and say it Eric it was just a disaster the the decision to hire Jeremy Pruitt um, I've said this he was the only person who could hire someone from the University of Alabama who was Alabama to the core which Jeremy Pruitt was Okay, he was the only AD who could have done that. If Mike Hamilton or Dave Hart or somebody else had brought Jeremy Pruitt to a podium, people would have lost their mind. But Philip Fulmer said, guy's a football coach. He's a winner. He's my guy. Okay? And the legacy that Jeremy Pruitt leaves behind here is not very good, um, obviously. And so that that cast a shadow, certainly, on Philip Fulmer's legacy um, and, and his attempt as an AD to try to get Tennessee back to where they, they wanted to get to. Kind of wrapping up this conversation, you look at, you know, what Josh Hopples had to work with in two years, and, and now that that cloud over the program's kind of gone. You have a clear direction, and you can tell recruits um, you won't have as much negative recruiting on this subject anymore. 
Josh Hopple's done a hell of a job in two years. I mean, that's not breaking news, but it, it feels like kind of everything was aligned. It, it's it's funny to say this out loud, but it's kind of like everything was aligned when you think about the COVID year, being able to hold on to some of those seniors, um, Don DePlowman being here, uh, getting Danny White, bringing in Josh Heupel, kind of all that and more. It's You wrote about it when you talked about Don DePlowman on Friday. Tennessee is in a better spot now than it was in January 2021. So you may disagree with the direction that Tennessee went, but it would be hard-pressed to argue that Tennessee would have been better off if it had paid the buyout and went a different way than the way it, the way it played out two and a half years later. Yeah, and and again, I mean, you saw the story the New Sentinel wrote with with some of the stuff that from from Philip Fulmer to Dante Plowman. I don't think that was exuding confidence in terms of his ability to go out and fire, uh, go out and hire another coach if that had been on the table in front of them. Um, you know, and I think Dante Plowman, in looking at it, felt like everything just needed to be washed, needed to be a, a complete, one hundred percent clean slate, and um, they are in better shape. Um, I said this on the Volquest podcast, and, and it's a short change, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify it a little bit here. I know not everybody listens to, to both podcasts, but, you know, Hendon Hooker was a big reason why this program got going as fast as it got going. So, there's, you know, that's the gift that Jeremy Pruitt left. But, but here's where Josh Heupel deserves credit, and probably I haven't given him enough credit. From day one, he went in and, and found a group of guys who were confused, could leave a bunch of their buddies were leaving a bunch of the better players were leaving and they weren't sure what to do. And from, from the moment he walked in, Josh Heupel said, you're my guys, you are my guys. Now we've seen some other coaches around the country, Deion Sanders being one of them who didn't take that approach. Right. You know, I'm I bringing my Louis Vuitton and you know, whatever, whoever's leaving and whatever. I mean, you're not my guy. I'm going to run a bunch of you guys off. Josh Heupel went in and put his arms around these guys and said, this is us. This is who we are. All right, mm-hmm. let's go do this thing. And, and it was never Pruitt's guys versus his guys. It was a cohesive locker room. Give the leadership in the locker room credit. But I give Josh Heupel a lot of credit because he put his arm around a group of kids who needed somebody to tell them that they cared about them, that they were important, okay, and that it was going to be okay to trust me. Those guys were willing to trust. And as a result, they were rewarded for that trust, which is a really good story in college athletics. When you don't see loyalty, you don't see people staying around. You don't see people hanging around, Eric, those guys did. And and Josh Heupel deserves a lot of credit and that core group of guys. And he mentioned this on fine bomb and other places. There's a legacy for those guys because they stayed to leave it better than it was at that point in time. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. Talking about legacy, talking about guys who stick around in an era where it's so easy to dart. That's Joe Milton, quarterback here for Tennessee in 2023, looking ahead to the SEC media days for Tennessee. That'll happen on Thursday. And we've got all that coverage over VolQuest.com, plus continual coverage of NCAA's punishment towards Tennessee. Uh, With Brent Hubbs, you can follow him on Twitter at Brent underscore Hubbs and at VolQuest underscore on three. Brent, appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. 
A proud sponsor of the show that is FanDuel Sportsbook and baseball season is in full swing right now. The All-Star Game is in the rearview mirror. Before you know it, the playoffs are going to be in here, and you can put some coin in your pockets uh, by going over to FanDuel.com right now and getting 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just 20 bucks, all you need, and you'll land $200 in bonus bets Win or lose. Not bad, right? That's $200 where you can spend betting on everything from the money line to the total, that over, that under. Uh, who you think is going to hit the first home run? Tally the first hit in the game. The first stolen base. Prop bets are endless over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's all on a safe, secure, and easy-to-use app where you get paid instantly. No more waiting to the end of the week. Uh, bi-monthly, end of the month, whatever the case is, you win, you get paid instantly on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. No better place to bet on Major League Baseball than over at FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. So what I need you to do, or what I encourage you to do, sign up today by visiting FanDuel.com slash locked on, and you can get up to $200 in bonus bets. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Hey guys, welcome back into your Tuesday edition of the show. That was great stuff there from Brent Hubbs. He's my boss over at VolQuest.com. And uh, we're going to continue to hit this from a different, a number of different angles. The punishments from the NCAA uh, after a two-and-a-half-year, 30-month-long uh, ordeal. And it's finally over, resolution from the NCAA. And I'm going to continue to break that down as the week goes on. That news hit on Friday. That was Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com. And appreciate you guys for being here. Subscribing, if you haven't already, please do. It's a Locked On Balls on the YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, all that good stuff. Every day, I appreciate you for being here. And now, let's get into your portion of the show. That is the mailbag question. We'll start with Joseph. He's got a question about the NCAA vacating wins uh, in, in terms of will it hurt UT since those games occurred in the past? Do you need to give back any trophies you receive? Just curious how it all works and the specific games were mentioned in the rulings. All right, so to my understanding, Tennessee essentially has 14 days uh, from when everything was issued, which was Friday, to kind of put that all, you know, uh, hand that back to the NCAA is kind of how, uh, I don't know if it's a document or, or what examples, but anytime individual or ineligible players played in those games, you have to vacate the wins if, if they were. And so what that means is for the years of 2019 and 2020, those wins that Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee accumulated are going to be wiped off, uh, wiped off the books essentially. So that's 11 wins that's got to be vacated. And what's critical about that is it actually moves Tennessee out of the top 10 in all-time wins in college football. It was it was tied for 10th with USC with 856 wins, 410 losses, and three ties. And because you're vacating these 11 wins. That's going to put Tennessee back at number 11. Was tied again with USC for 10th overall. So it's not like you're adding a loss to the resume. It's just like those games never happened. So in 2019, instead of going 8-5, and five, which is where Tennessee ended with the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl victory, Tennessee is now going to be 0-5. Uh, in 2020, instead of going 3-7, and seven, Tennessee will now have gone 0-7. That's kind of what Brent was talking about in segment one. It's kind of the overall embarrassment because for media guides to come when you get those up and pick those up at you know before the season starts and record books and all that, those years will say 0 and five and 0 and seven. And that truly uh, truly is 
you know, kind of kind of embarrassing, if you will. There were 16 ineligible players that played in games over the course of those two years. Of course, they were granted immunity by the NCAA for their cooperation in the investigation. That's why uh, their names were redacted from the overall report. Uh, also, with these vacated wins, Pruitt's record at Tennessee goes from 16 and 19 to 5 and 19. Woof. Uh, that is not good. So, trophies, I mean, they got a trophy for, for winning the Tax Lair Gator Bowl. I don't know if you have to give that back. I mean, I don't think anybody cares about that or wants that, but uh, that's kind of, to my understanding, um, how that works. Good question there, Joseph. Uh, thanks for kicking it off. Uh, we'll now go to Seth. Seth says, I'll be in the swamp this fall for the Vols game and want to know what Tennessee has to do to finally get a win down there. And do you think uh, Tennessee will be a top 10 team by week three when we play the Gators? Um, Top 10 team depends on obviously where you're ranked uh, in the AP going into the season. The AP is the one that matters. And then, you know, once they start putting out the college football playoff rankings, that's really the one that uh, you should go off of at that point because that's the one that matters. So, you know, if Tennessee's ranked 15th or 16th to begin the season, I I mean, unless there's a bunch of teams that lose in front of them, I, I don't anticipate Tennessee being a top 10 team by week three. At that point in time, you hope to have wins over Virginia and Austin P. That's not going to move the needle much for you. So I would assume, you know, if you're ranked anywhere like 14, 15, 16 or, or higher, than, or lower, I guess, then um, I would say no. But I mean, if you're right around 11 or 12, 13, maybe, depending on what happens in front of you. In order to get a win down the swamp, I mean, again, it's just basic football. Joe Mullen's got to play well. Don't turn things over. Got to take advantage. Florida's not going to be down forever, and uh, they do not have good quarterback play. So I think because you have Graham Mertz, who's going to be the starting quarterback for Florida, you know, at that time, you really got to make things difficult on him. Get back into the backfield, make him make the wrong decision, create some turnovers, and give it over to your offense. Nothing will shut up a crowd like scoring points. Remember Kentucky, and I'm not trying to compare Croker Field to the Swamp here, but I remember playing up at Kentucky, uh, covering that game with Tennessee back in 2021, and their first two plays from scrimmage were like 70 yards and you know, 50 yards or whatever for, for touchdowns. They quieted that crowd in a hurry, and so I think that's a key component in what you got to do going down to the Swamp. Uh, we will go next to Andrew. Andrew wants to know, what would it take for Milton to win the Heisman? Well, look what Hendon Hooker did. He should have been a Heisman finalist last year. Uh, he was really, really good. He had tw like 27, 28, 29 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Uh, Hendon Hooker had a high QBR, one of the best in the country, One had one of the best uh, quarterback ratings in the country. He performed well against some of the best competition, Florida, um, Alabama and, and, and some games of that liked and some of the biggest stage, LSU as well on the road. Um, but more than anything, Hendon Hooker was the quarterback of a good team that was scoring a whole lot of points. So if Tennessee is going to be back where they were last year, scoring those types of points and winning those types of football games, then I think that's the biggest thing for you know Joe Milton in terms of uh, to be a Heisman finalist or to win the Heisman. Uh, you got to do that. You can't turn the football over. Joe Milton's turned the football over as a starter uh, during his chances in the past. You can't turn the football over. And the biggest thing about Joe is Hendon Hooker was an accurate passer. He's always been an accurate passer, even dating back to his days at Virginia Tech. Joe Milton has not been an accurate passer. He had his best QB rating and completion percentage by a mile uh, in his limited time last year, filling in for Hooker and, of course, in mop-up duty. Can he do that over the course of 12 regular season games? We'll find out, but got to play on a winning team, got to score a whole lot of points, and you can't turn the football over and have a high completion percentage in QBR. 
uh, QB rating as well. That is the keys for Joe Milton. Let's go to Wade. Who do you think is the most underrated Vol football player for this upcoming season, offense and defense? Um, Ramel Keaton would be in this conversation, I feel like, but we're giving him a lot of props lately. Let me go with Javante Spragans on offense. Dude's about to be a three-year starter. Um, he'll never He's like Jerome Carvin so much, right? He'll never grade out high on pro football focus. He's never going to get the pr praise and recognition he deserves. But all he does is play, and he's a bulldog, right, in a good way, not like the Georgia kind. Um, he's a grinder, and uh, he, he's mean, he's dirty, <laughs> and you want that as an offensive lineman. Those are all compliments, mind you. So I would go Javante Spragans just because he's been there, snap in and snap out. He doesn't miss time. He's durable, knock on wood, and nobody talks about him, even being in terms of the better offensive lineman. Defensively, let me go with, I want to say Wesley Walker, because I thought he was solid when he played last year, and of course he'll have to take a step this year as well. But give me Amari Thomas. Not to the extent of Matthew Butler, who was just a snap eater in 2021, who played so many snaps, over 900 snaps. But Amari Thomas, not only a leader on this football team, not only a leader on that defensive line and on defense, he's a leader for the University of Tennessee. He's a part of all leaders, represents the university, and, and trips you know across the globe, and goes to these summits, and, and he's really good as well. And I think that he's solid, and I think he's got a career in the NFL. I would go Amari Thomas as being the underrated guy. Uh, let's go to my direct messages. TN underscore Mia San Mia. Uh, this is what you got to say. It's safe to say few people love the University of Tennessee like Philip Former does. The mid-90s to the uh, early 2000s under Former was one of the most three dominant periods in school history. With everything that happened with Former becoming AD and hiring Pruitt, what has happened with the NCAA? Uh, and, and everything that's happened with the NCAA, what do you think that does for his legacy moving forward? I asked Brent this in segment number one as well, and this is a great question. And this really could be a show or at least a segment. I'll give you the cliff notes here, in my opinion. It, de it depends on who you ask. I think you have to separate Philip Former, the coach, and Philip Former, the athletic director, and, and all that. Even before he was AD, just kind of lurking around the program, Bob Stoops-like, you know? You got to separate those, in my opinion. In my opinion, Those are separate for me. Philip Former, in my opinion, you know that that's my football coach. Growing up in East Tennessee, going to Tennessee games, watching Tennessee every single week, that's my football coach. And he was a damn good one. Um, he took Tennessee to unprecedented heights, won a national championship, SEC championships, recruiting as well. Um, he heck of a coach. Philip Former, the athletic director, was not good. It was not good. And, and I remember in, in the whole craziness of you know, December and November of 2017, trying to find an AD, trying to find a head coach and all that, and how it was just so awful. I remember when he stepped in and took over AD, it was a sense of, of calm. It was a calming presence, right? And I thought that was needed at the time. I, I just, he he was not, he's not an athletics director. He's just not. He's a football coach. And, and so, uh, again, I, I think that depending on how you look at it, it could tarnish his legacy. But for me, and I can only speak for me, Philip Former, the coach, this has nothing to do with Philip Former, the coach, the player, the vol has nothing to do with me or at the, the AD stand has nothing to do with that. I'll remember Philip Former as an athletic director as not being a very good one. And I, you know, proof's kind of in the pudding when he was in office as well. That's just my opinion. Everybody's open to, you know, that of that of their own. And then finally, William wants to know, he chimes in on the YouTube channel. This will be our last one here. Explain to me what a show cause is. Um, 
kind of getting around it. So, you know, there's stipulations and everything, but essentially a show cause means you can't coach for that specific time. Jeremy Pruitt was given a six-year show cause, which means a college cannot hire him to be a coach or an employee for six years, essentially. Now, there are ways to dispute it. Um, say in year three or four or whatever, and, and Nick Saban needs another defensive coordinator, whatever the case is, and, and you think Jeremy Pruitt is, I'm just using him as an example, and you think Jeremy Pruitt is the best man for the job no matter what, you have to go to the SEC and to the NCAA and state your reasoning why you want to take a chance on this guy and you think that he's the best guy or she is the best guy for the job while they're under a show cause penalty. Essentially, a show cause penalty means you can't do anything for that specific time. Now, there's stipulations like, and this is where I get a little confused about it as well, and then I need to do more research. But like, you know, no, no matter what, 100% Jeremy Pruitt can't do anything for a year. Now, there could be stipulations to where maybe a team could hire him as an off-the-field role, maybe an analyst or maybe, uh, you know, a quality controller, whatever, you know, to where he could wait out the end of his show calls there and then get back into on-the-field coaching. I'm not too sure about that, but essentially a show calls means you can't coach. Can't coach whatsoever uh, in that specific time or at least as a head coach. And if somebody wants to hire him to be the defensive coordinator or whatever, maybe you can go dispute that, get it down and say, okay, well, you can be a DC, you just can't be a head coach. So that's kind of what that means there, and I know that's kind of open-ended. It just kind of depends on the show cause and depends on the specific person. Guys, thank you as always for sending in those questions for a little Twitter Tuesday mailbag edition of the show. Every day or as you are the best, and when we come back, we'll conclude a Tuesday show by getting back into our scouting the opponents. We will take a look at Austin P. This is Locked on Balls. All right, guys, we're going to wrap things up here on this Tuesday by getting into our scouting the opponent series Austin P. Austin P is going to be week two. It's going to be the home opener at Neyland Stadium. Going to be a whole lot of excitement. Austin P is coming off a seven and four season in 2022 and is coached by Scotty Walden, who is entering his third season where he has a 17 and 11 record. Uh, Austin P finished second in the Atlantic Sun Conference last year, where there's only seven programs, but second place in the Atlantic Sun last year. And it really rode the heels of its defense. Listen to this. Again, only only seven programs, but uh, the defense for Austin P last year surrendered only 22.7 points per game. That led the conference. It gave up a conference fewest, 317.1 yards per game. That led the conference. The team that went on and won the conference, um, I think it was Jackson State. Uh, is Jackson State in this conference? I forgot. Sorry. But the team that won the conference, you know, Austin P finished second. They were the only team that gave up less than 400 yards defensively, and they were like at 390-something yards defensively, and that was second best in the conference. So the defense for Austin P last year was really, really good. Offense, a little bit of a different story, though. Uh, you did score 31 points per game, which feels like a lot, but that was fourth most, or that was fourth most in conference. So kind of middle of the road there for a high-scoring conference, right? Uh, it did rush for 889 yards per game, which is pretty solid on the ground. Uh, we'll start with the quarterback. You know what you're bringing back. You got Mike uh, Delelio, Delelo, Delelo. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, he's a six-year guy, bit of a journeyman. Started his career at Florida Tech, played two seasons. He was at MTSU for two seasons, and now his last two seasons, fifth and sixth year, uh, he is here at Austin P. He threw for 2,447 yards a season ago, 21 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 61% completion is what Mike 
DiLello did last year, and he'll be the returning quarterback. Um, wide receivers got dev- decimated from the transfer portal. Okay, You lost um, J- Dre McCray, who had nine touchdowns, 1,000 yards of 76 receptions. He's now at Texas Tech. You lost James Burns, who was 39 receptions, 517 yards, and five touchdowns. You lost uh, Kevin Stewart's to transfer as well, who had 12 receptions on the year. And you bring back, your leading receiver that you're bringing back is Trey Goodman, who had 32 catches, 355 yards, and four touchdowns in 2022. So you lost your top three receivers, which is not great. You, or your top, you know, three of your top four receivers. You bring back one guy. Uh, you've added to it a little bit via the transfer portal. The good news offensively, though, is the running back position. You bring back your two uh, bell cows. C.J. Evans, 133 attempts, 641 yards, and six touchdowns. Javon Jackson, 95 attempts, 572 yards, and four touchdowns. Those two guys were critical in the offense's production to average 189 yards on the ground per game, which was really, really good in that conference. So the offense wasn't great, and it got just picked apart by the transfer portal. You lost some offensive linemen as well. Uh, Defensively, you really got picked apart by the transfer portal. It's unfortunate. Reminder, 22.7 points per game led the conference last year. Scoring defense, 317.1 yards per game. Total defense led the conference easily. But the transfer portal, you lost your two starting defensive tackles. Both went to Arizona State, Demetrius Ford and Shamiri Simmons. Um, both of those guys were all conference players. Look at your linebacker, your leading tackler, Antoine Williams. 91 tackles, 12 and a half TFLs. He transferred to Western Carolina. Your second leading tackler, linebacker Joseph Rudolph, 71 tackles. He transferred to Indiana. So that's not good, especially in the box playing in your front seven. All conference defensive tackles, gone. Top two leading tacklers, gone at the linebacker position in the second layer. You did make key additions in the transfer portal. Brought in Walford safety, Miles Richardson. You brought in a linebacker from Albany and Christopher Lewis. And you brought in a linebacker from Norfolk, Norfolk State and Tyler Long. So you kind of plugged and play a little bit. But overall, it's going to look kind of like a new look defense for Austin P. Bottom line, guys, it is what it is. This is Austin P. It's a money game coming to Neyland Stadium. It's the home opener. It is a get-right game for Tennessee. Coming off the Virginia win, you hope to begin the season in Nashville. Coming home, first game at Neyland Stadium, first home crowd, all that good stuff. And it's a get-right game because you want to be looking pretty good. You will not look your best. Again, it's week three is Florida. You're not going to be a complete football team by then. But you want to take a ginormous step from week one to week two in preparation for your first true test of the year in the swamp, on the road, going down to Florida, a place where you haven't won since 03. This game is the final walkthrough, essentially. Season's already gone on. You Hopefully, you've already beat Virginia, but this game is a get-right game, get-ready game. Got to take care of business, but you want to look good doing it. Get some confidence because the next week, you are going to be challenged. We'll continue on with our Scouting the Opponent series. As the week continues, we'll take a look at the Florida Gators tomorrow. All right, fun show, guys. Really appreciate Brent Hub stopping by and talking with us. Of course, he's my boss over at VolQuest.com. Appreciate you every day or for chiming in with your uh, questions for the mailbag in segment two. And, of course, taking a look at Awesome P and getting a look at Tennessee's opponents here in the Scouting the Opponent series. As always, guys, thanks so much for your uh, continued support of this show. Please subscribe to Locked on Balls on the YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcast. Write me five stars. Leave me a positive review if you would be so kind. That would mean the world to me. 
And hey, let's do this again tomorrow. This is Locked On Balls.